Welcome to Witches Being Witches. Spiritual besties chatting all things stars, skin, science, sex, and self-love. I'm Tara, Ayurvedic consultant, cosmic witch, and Vedic astrologer. And I'm Emily, qualified naturopath, holistic skin witch, and founder of natural skin and lifestyle brand, The Purist Collection. Witches Being Witches is for the woman who is ready to reclaim her power, dares to take up space, and expresses herself fully. A witch is a woman who embraces nature, its cycles, and knows that she is magic. Welcome, Welcome fellow witch. witch. We are so happy you are here. This episode is proudly brought to you by The Purist Collection, a luxury naturopath-formulated skin, body, and lifestyle brand, supporting you with herbal medicine, flower aroma, and crystal therapy, because what you put on your body is just as important as what you put in it. Available online at thepuristcollection.com. That's the with purist, P-U-R-I-S-T, collection.com. Okay, let's get into today's episode. Welcome to episode 21, The Pill Explained with Emily and Tara. Hello. <laughs> I'm really excited for this episode. It's one that um, I've been asked so much about as a naturopath and the majority of my clients come to see me um, who are either on the pill wanting to come off or they've just recently come off and they're trying to navigate that and something that's common amongst all those women is that we have never really had the pill explained to us before and the pill was originally an empowering tool for women but I think there's a lot of disempowerment in never having been educated around it Mm. yes Mm. yep I'm excited to dig into this episode with you Em I know you're going to bring a lot of science yeah I'm looking forward to that (laughs) um before we jump into this episode just a quick cosmic update so we have a new moon in Pisces keep in mind that this is the Vedic sidereal system that I work with Mm -hmm. so on the 1st of April and so new moons are typically when we're wanting to plant the seeds um it's good for um yeah really finding what we want to put our energy towards Mm -hmm. so really taking that conscious time to write down your your goals um, where you're wanting to place your energy what's important to you and so with this Pisces energy Pisces is a really intuitive sign so it's mystical it's compassionate it's imaginative it's romantic and can, and it can be a little bit emotional as well because it is that water sign so mm-hmm. just keeping that in mind what would be really great to do with this new moon is really getting in touch with your imagination and your creativity uh, this is going to be really heightened mm-hmm. and as we know all the um the signs have like higher qualities and the lower vibrational qualities And so with the Piscean energy, we just need to be mindful about not um, going into an addiction or escapism and running away from things. It's really more tapping into our creativity and creating um, our dream life into reality rather than kind of tapping out. So those are my recommendations. So taking some time to 
uh, really consciously plan with this upcoming new moon. I love that. That sounds awesome. And then as a life update, Mm. M, what's been happening? Well, um, I actually had an interesting time on um, a couple of weeks ago. I played in a golf day, in a mining golf day. One of my friends works for a mining company um, and she invited me along because for those of you who don't know, um, my weird random flex is that I did golf lessons as a kid. My dad really desperately wanted me to be a golf pro. <laughs> Sorry, dad, didn't live, um, didn't live up to that one, but I can play golf. <laughs> Yeah, not amazingly well, but I can play. Um, so my really invited me along. <laughs> my friend invited me along, and yeah, I went and played this mining golf day, and it was really interesting. Um, yeah, like big mining, you know, heads of mining, and all these different companies, and so much money, and yeah, big corporate chat, but. It was interesting. There were not a lot of women there. I reckon out of like 200 people, maybe eight of us, which was interesting because it just goes to show like mining is such a male dominated industry. And I think that there's been a lot of movement to try and change that, but it's obviously still, that's the way it is. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was, yeah, it was really interesting. I kind of had this perception of what it might be like with that in mind but I have to say like everyone was very very respectful of um, us women on the day it was Mm. really good yeah it was quite refreshing um yeah kind of um superseded my expectations (laughs) that's amazing I love that you just would have been in there like yeah (laughs) being really good as well they wouldn't be expecting that probably like do you know what I mean yeah. like that stereotype yeah. as well yeah. like they would just be you know who is this blonde girl yeah, in her exactly. little skirt? <laughs> exactly yeah with her golf clubs <laughs> I love that Emily is changing the narrative <laughs> yeah bringing some feminine into that masculine world you know mm. <laughs> could balance yeah, it I out that what about you, Tate? What have you been um, kind of processing in the last couple of weeks? So I guess uh, like you, similarly, I have, um, for those that don't know, my husband and stepson are very into motorsport. Mm-hmm. And so I had uh, a motorsport uh, weekend recently and that was so much fun. For those that don't know as well, at the core of me, I love my cars. I love my fast cars. And so just having, (laughs) yeah, just having (laughs) a lot of fun during that. And honestly, it's probably the first weekend that I've had off in, I can't remember how long. And it was just so good for my soul. Like I just really, really enjoyed it. And just not having to be anywhere at a certain time and just really Mm -hmm. enjoying the day and where this motorsport event was it was all outdoors so I was in nature by Mm -hmm. the beach and yeah it was just it was just lots of fun that's awesome any women in motorsport racing down there oh no there wasn't but I was posting this on my stories and one of my clients was just like I think you should race like I think you should do this I could totally see you doing that. I've been in the uh, car when you're driving. You could definitely race. 
And then I was just like, yeah, I thought about it for a second. And then I'm just like, no, I'm just going to leave that to my husband and stepson. Like, I'm just, I'm just not that coordinated, right? I am to do that. Can also confirm that bit. <laughs> yeah. So I love that we've just had these, um, yeah, joyful experiences. And yeah. Feeling, yeah, our cup is filled up. Yeah, totally. 100%. So, fellow witch, if you're listening to this, um, step outside the box and and do something that, mm. yeah, is is fun for the soul. Try something new and girl power. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so let's dive in. Um, yeah, let's get stuck in. So I want to start off by saying that um, I have absolutely no judgment against your decision to be on the pill if you're on the pill um what I really want to do is empower you to make an informed decision so if you're listening to this I don't want you to feel um attacked or yeah like I'm I'm judging in any way I really really want to give you the information that many of us have never been given which I think is awful um and yeah, I, I want to give you the information so that you can make that informed decision and really empower yourself as a result. Um, because Tara will know I did, um, I don't know if you follow me on Instagram, fellow witches, but I, um, on my naturopathy account, I really, I like to have a lot of fun with my reels. I find it funny and entertaining. Um, and I like to get that across. And I did do one about a year ago on the pill. And just busting a couple of myths relating to the pill. And suddenly for some random reason, as I think it happens with reels, it went viral um, and really hit like a big American audience. And I think um, probably the health system, well, the health system is definitely very different there than it is in Australia. Um, and I got so much hate mail. Tara will know this because I got really upset by it because I was like oh my god this was not my intention to upset people or come across as judgmental like I was literally just busting some facts about the pill mm. um, in a fun light-hearted way um, and I think it really hit a nerve so yeah I really want to like I said confirm that I am not being judgmental at all I've been on the pill a lot of my clients come and see me on the pill and I would never tell them to come off the pill unless they wanted to. Um, and then I would help them through that. But ultimately, yeah, like I said, I want to be able to empower women to make their own decision. And as grown women, we all have the decision to do what is best for us. Yeah. And like you say, Em, I think this is so needed education. Uh, mm -hmm. It's not something that I have known about and it's only been the last couple of years. And yeah. so this episode is yeah I know it's very close to both of our hearts and I yeah we're sharing mm. it from a place of um willing you know good intentions so absolutely yeah and and love and empowerment always which is what we're about on this podcast ultimately mm. so let's start off with a little bit of history of the pill so the pill is actually really old um, the first trials began all the way back in 1954 and the very first pill was released in May of 1960. So over 60 years ago, um, it was first released in Australia a year or almost a year later um, on the 1st of Feb 1961. And 
finally, at this time when more and more women were entering the workforce, women had the right to legally access birth control for the first time. Um, it was really simple to use. It was more effective than all of the previous methods. It was really discreet. Um, so it was a massive win for women's rights. And a lot of women really lobbied for it because they finally had an option. Um, however, initially it was actually only available to married women who had a prescription. And I find that so interesting because again, that kind of um, frowning upon women for having sex outside of a marital relationship. Mm. Like it's, mm. um, yeah, I, yeah, I found that really interesting, but um, yeah, eventually it was more broadly available. Um, but that, I guess it was at the six in the sixties and a time when yeah, although women were finally kind of entering society and starting to be seen somewhat more as equals. And I think we still have a long way to go there, sadly. But um, yeah, um, it was interesting. Um, also interestingly, when it first came to Australia, originally it attracted a luxury tax of 27.5%. Um, yeah, crazy, right? Like it was a luxury to be able to choose whether you wanted to become a parent or not. <laughs> um, and that thankfully was actually abolished, not until the 70s though, um, by our prime minister at the time, Gough Whitlam, abolished that in 1972. Um, but what I find really interesting is that since 1961 or 1960, when it first came out globally, in that over 60 years, there haven't been any changes really to the pill. Um, very few, but there have been so many other changes to healthcare generally. For example, in the 60s, people thought that smoking was okay for your health. And now we've learned that actually that can be really damaging and that there are, you know, there's so much, so much research associated with health conditions and problems, including obviously lung cancer. That's the major one with smoking but nothing has ever really been done with the pill. And I find that so interesting. So interesting. Mm. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk to you about how the pill actually works. So essentially it shuts down our ovarian function and it stops us from ovulating. Now, naturally ovulation is the release of our egg. Um, and we talked about the cycle a lot when we did our um, first episode, the menstrual cycles in the moon. So if you need a bit of a recap, jump back to that one first and have a little listen. But yes, ovulation very essentially is the release of, our, of an egg. Now, there are two outcomes following ovulation, either a pregnancy if that egg is fertilized or we have a period. So in theory, if we aren't ovulating, it's much harder to become pregnant. If we are ovulating, as in if we're not on the pill, there are actually only six days in a normal cycle. And I'm using air quotes when I say normal. And again, go back and listen to that episode because there's so many different nuances and so many different reasons as to why the cycle might be impacted. But in a normal, air quotes, um, cycle, there are only six days where we could actually fall pregnant. The day that we ovulate and the five days beforehand. On the pill, generally, there are not any days that you could be fertile. 
but that is only if you are taking it 100% perfectly. So when I say 100% perfectly, we're making sure that you take it at exactly the same time, um, exactly the same time every day and night, um, or night whenever you are taking it. That you, if you fall sick, for example, if you get gastro or something, that you're not vomiting it out or pooping it out too quickly before it has the time to act. Um, but also that you're not using any interfering medications like um, some benzodiazepines, some antibiotics, some epilepsy drugs um, can interact with the pill and interfere with its function. Um, and same with the um, herbs. And there are different herbs, um, even in natural medicine, that you don't want to be mixing with the pill because it interferes with um, its efficacy and its function basically um so st john's wort and vitex or chase tree are, are two big ones there um, which are very commonly spoken about and I, I know a lot of women have heard of those herbs um, but just a heads up that if you're using those while you're using the pill the pill is going to be less effective and therefore there is that risk that you could actually fall pregnant so with perfect use the pill is 99.7 percent effective in preventing pregnancy However, that's perfect. And then there's realistic, as with all things in life. So with typical use, as in the way that most people use it, it's around 93% effective. So it is highly effective at its job. Um, but interestingly, while most women use the pill, obviously, as a contraceptive, 14% are actually prescribed it for other reasons. So period pain, irregular periods, endometriosis, fibroids, hormonal acne, um, all other reasons that women can go down the route of being put onto the pill. And I don't know about your experience, Tara, but for me, period pain and later we found to be endometriosis, um, I was whacked onto the pill when I was 14. And this is the thing that's that scares me the most um, because mm. I feel that is such a band-aid. Yeah, it like, 100% is. Like why, what What was the cause of that? That, that you know, yeah. especially when it comes to pain, I feel that um, pain is such a teacher. So, and it can get yeah. us to the root cause. And it's that whole allopathic way of masking that, totally. uh, um, that I'm using air quotes as well, issue. Yeah, yeah. And like you said, and there hasn't been any updates to, to this and, mm. how, you know, how can we do things differently now? Yeah, exactly. And the reason that we are, so many of us are thrown onto the pill for reasons, you know, um, like I just mentioned for health issues, again, air quotes, <laughs> um, is because we're told that the pill is going to balance our hormones or that it's going to regulate our periods. Mm. But this is such a myth scientifically that it's not possible. I'm like throwing, Tara will tell you, I'm like my hands are so exasperated right now. The pill does not balance our hormones. It shuts them down. So I'm going to explain that a little bit further from, yeah, I want to go into the science and explain what I mean when I say that that is such a myth. Mm. So your ovaries or our ovaries as women make two human hormones, estradiol and progesterone. Now, estradiol is an estrogen hormone. It is responsible for thickening the lining of our uterus. It is also responsible for producing a fertile mucus or discharge that is going to help um, grab sperm and take it to our egg so that we can be fertilized essentially. However, estradiol also helps to boost our mood and our libido. 
it improves our sleep, it speeds up our metabolism and helps to manage that. It also promotes the health of our bones, our muscles, our brain, our heart and our skin. Um, so it's a, a major, really effective, really helpful female hormone. The other one, progesterone, is a key hormone for both period and pregnancy health. And it is only made through ovulation. You can't really get natural progesterone in any other way, natural human progesterone in any other way. Now, progesterone also acts, again, has other jobs too. Um, it counterbalances estrogen, so helps to keep estrogen in check. And that's something that I'm very commonly working with with my clients. Um, progesterone has this really beautiful yin energy where as estrogen at that time of our cycle ovulation point and leading up to is more that yang energy. So progesterone helps to balance that out. Um, progesterone also is an incredible anti-inflammatory, helping to reduce inflammation throughout the body. Um, it helps to calm our nervous system. So yeah, it really helps us to better cope with and deal with stress. Um, again, it helps to look after our sleep quality. It helps to build muscle and it protects the heart against heart disease as well. Now, there is a really common misconception, again, that the drugs used in the pill are estrogen and progesterone. They are not. They are not human hormones. They are steroid drugs. Um, the only similarity is that they are chemical messengers. So um, hormones, neurotransmitters, they are our chemical messengers in our body. Our human hormones, progesterone and estrogen, are also chemical messengers. So that is the main, um, I guess, link between the steroidal synthetic versions and the actual human hormones. Um, there are a few really common ones that are used, especially in the pill, um, ethanol estradiol, and then drospirinone and leven, and I, sorry, I can never say this one properly, levonorgestrel. And those two, those latter are progestins, not progesterone, progestins. And there are a few other hormones as well, um, steroidal synthetic hormones that are used in contraceptives. But like I said, those are the main kind of or most common three. Now, the very first pill tested all the way back in the 1950s and actually back in 1956 was actually progestin only. But it had so many side effects that they actually decided to add in the synthetic version of estrogen to make it more tolerable. And again, when I'm saying estrogen, I'm referring to that synthetic version, the ethanol estradiol. Like I said, progestins are not progesterone. Um, if you look at it from a chemical perspective, they have completely different molecular, uh, molecular makeups. So completely different. Um, they also have very different effects in the body. So progesterone, like I said earlier, is linked to improved brain health and improved brain function, amongst many other benefits, whereas progestins, like levonorgestrel, has been linked with depression and anxiety. Now, we need to remember, like I said, that progesterone is only made via ovulation, which the pill is designed to suppress. Mm. So again, confirming that the pill, the um, hormones in the pill are not the same as our human hormones, nor are they the same as pregnancy hormones, which is another strong misconception. So you can see why I say that the pill is not regulating our hormones. 
Well, we're not getting the benefits of those natural hormones that no. are going to help and be beneficial. No. Absolutely. So, yeah, they're, they're not managing our hormones. They're completely shutting them down and replacing them with synthetic versions, which have completely different um, molecular makeups and completely different jobs. And this is, this is important and because... I not having awareness around this, um, you know, in my, in my twenties. And uh, if you'd asked me back then, I would have said, yeah, it's, it's same, same. Like, yes, it's the, um, you know, like not a natural um, version of it, but it's still, you know, the same same. mimicking it. Yeah. And yeah, I think that is really important for people to understand that it is not like for like, and the trade-off that comes with that as well. Yeah, exactly. Completely, completely different effects. Um, And another one, and I think this blew my mind more, um, is a second difference. So we know on the pill that we don't ovulate, but what about our periods? Nine out of 10 people that I speak with, me included, I 100% put up my hand and say that I used to be in this category until I got my health degree and started reading more and learning more. And thank goodness there is so much more information out there available now to the young women of today. But back when I was put on the pill, I assumed that I was still getting my period every month. Yeah. We know that our natural cycle ends with either pregnancy or a period after we ovulate. But the whole aim of the game of an oral contraceptive pill is that we want to avoid pregnancy. So what about our periods? Well, a pill bleed is not a period. And I say that again, a pill bleed is not a period. It is a drug-induced bleed, meaning you stop taking that pill and a withdrawal bleed follows. Mm. Now... We as women, and again, back in that first episode um, when we talked about the menstrual cycle, um, our whole menstrual cycle, I'm not just talking about the few days that we have our period for, but the whole cycle, the whole um, range of dates from day one of our, our bleed right through until the next bleed, we use that like a report card for our health. It gives us so much insight into what is going on. And that period similarly gives us a really good indication of what our health has been like for that cycle. Um, So it's a really good opportunity for us to check in and say, oh, something funny is going on with my period this month. Something funny is going on. I want to look into that a little bit more. Um, I mean, how many of us have gotten sick through a cycle or been highly, highly stressed? And then the period at the end has been a little bit different or funny. Totally. And that is so important. And this is in Ayurveda mm. as well. We're saying that, you know, if like some months, if I have a painful period, which I typically mm. don't have now, I used to when I first mm. had my period and through most of my life, but it's mm. only very occasionally now. And it's only been, you know, within the last six years mm. through talking about this um, with, um, you know, other women that I actually mm. always thought a period should be painful yeah, because same. my my mother's was painful and I saw her in pain. So, yeah. you know, at that time, the narrative is changing now. I see, see my stepdaughter mm. and she, you know, has very open conversations about when they're cycling and things like that, which mm. I love. But it wasn't until recently that I, it's, you know, more normal yeah. to not have yeah. that pain 
And so yeah. that was, that was huge for me. But now I know that, like you say, Em, that report card, I know if it's been more painful that I have been pushing myself yeah. either, either physically or emotionally. And that is mm-hmm. a signal to me that I really need to take some time out to nurture myself and yeah. ask myself, um what what has been going on and really looking at it's usually around where haven't I been speaking my truth or mm-hmm. where have I been blocking myself um yes. or yeah where haven't I been nourishing and where haven't I been kind to myself so yeah. and and same when it comes to exercise as well like if I've been pushing my body too hard typically yeah. that is more painful so yes without that indicator uh, I think it's um challenging like you say a check-in that that is so needed yeah 100 percent. and yes that is another huge con- misconception is that period pain is normal and it's 100 percent not normal it's common it is mm. not normal um yes. but yeah uh when you are on the pill you do not get a period it's 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 not a thing and this makes so much sense and because when i was in my early 20s I had the implanon. I know this is different mm-hmm, to the pill, mm-hmm. but it made sense because with the implanon, um, in my experience, I didn't have a period at all. Like not yes. um, not a uh, withdrawal from the, because it's yeah. constantly in your body for yes, those that don't exactly. know. Uh, and so having that without any physical sign of being connected to, to being a, a woman for six years yeah. and how yeah. much that, um, damaged the relationship with myself even mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it kind of was like I could just it was that convenience thing like I could do anything I yeah. could go anywhere yeah. I could keep up with the boys I could do you know all the extreme like sports that I wanted to do and not be like you would held back pain. yeah yes yeah 100% yeah so that's yeah it's such a common um, myth that people are fed that you know well yeah if you get a painful period well you know it's normal so what we'll do is just pop you onto this magic fix that gets rid of your period pain but what it does it gets rid of your periods completely mm-hmm. um yeah and um although the implanon is different and IUDs are different um very commonly it's similar steroidal hormones that I mentioned earlier those those main three and very commonly those progestin ones as well so Mm. same same deal um with the pill though they are the manufacturers of the pill make a pill bleed occur every 28 days which is the same length as an ideal natural cycle you can't cycle on the pill because you're not ovulating which is a massive feature of our our cycle yeah, I think I think that's a bit crazy. But technically, because you're not cycling and you, that bleed at the end is not a, a period, there's scientifically no real reason as to why you would have to take a pill bleed monthly. So if you're skipping periods on the pill, skipping periods, air mm-hmm. quotes, on the pill, you're just skipping the drug withdrawal bleed. Mm. So it's not really... Um, there's no reason really why you need to have a pill bleed because it's not going to give you that insight into your health like a period would at the end of a a month cycle. And that's so interesting because I remember when I was younger, they, they, I'm putting it in air quotes, uh, (laughs) would say 
you know, make sure you don't skip it too many months yes. because that's bad for you. It's like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Another misconception. Yeah. The only thing that taking a regular pill bleed is going to do is prevent breakthrough bleeding or spotting. Mm. So um, that's the only reason that you would want to take a regular bleed, but you can really choose whenever that is going to be. Um, yeah. And obviously the longer you go, the more likely you're, you're going to experience breakthrough bleeding generally. Mm. Um, but yeah, really um, having it every month is not essential mm. scientifically because it's not a cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I want to talk a little bit about the side effects of the pill as well. Now, again, I am not sharing this information to scare anyone, but a lot of these symptoms are very common in women and um, we are never taught or have, you know, none of this is ever really explained to us. And I think considering how common some of these health issues are, the fact that we never question the pill or very rarely question the pill is odd. Um, And I don't know, um, for those of you who have taken the pill, and I used to take the pill, so I I remember this well, the little booklet that came with the pill, um, it's like like a full book, and it tells you about all the side effects that could happen. As with any drug, you know, they, they do tell you about the side effects. I don't know about you, I never read that. I was like, well, you know, this is what I've been told is going to fix my period pain. So uh, I'm just going to roll with it. And I'm going to pretend like I don't really know any of this other stuff that could be happening to me. I want to give you that book in like a nice bite-sized audio format. (laughs) This is like the audio booklet version. (laughs) Um, The first one is depression. Now, there is a higher risk um, in progestin-only contraceptives, so progestin-only pills, but also the implant and the marina um, or IUD um, and synthetic IUD. So Kylina is the more um, recent version, which is like a a lower dose of the marina. Um, But yeah, there is a higher risk of depression in those particular contraceptives. Now, the pill makes our nervous system more sensitive to stress because remember that we need natural progesterone which is very different to help calm our nervous system so if we don't have that we're not making that which we can't be because we're not ovulating um, our nervous system is more sensitive to stress ultimately and the pill has also been shown to alter the structure of our brain particularly the lateral orbitofrontal cortex, um, which is where we kind of manage emotions. So that altered structure in particularly that area um, does elicit emotional changes. Studies also show that women on hormonal birth control are actually three times as likely to commit suicide from depression, which is massive, massive. And as someone who suffered depression in my teens and ironically was then put onto the pill, um, I just can't help but wonder, yeah, did did those years that I was on it actually make me feel worse? Mm. And I know that a lot of clients who come in and see me 
um, and who have come off the pill or swapped pills or swapped to another form of hormonal birth control um, have done so usually because they've noticed that their moods have really changed. Like it is a very, very common side effect from the pill. Mm. Like I said, it's a common one. Not everyone is going to experience it and it's not um, a normal side effect by any stretch of the imagination, but it is common. Mm. The, other, the other major one is low libido. Um, and low sex drive mm. because our natural libido in a natural cycle is aided by the production of testosterone, which is um, an androgen hormone. It's our main androgen hormone, um, which is completely switched off, sadly, while we're on the pill, like many of our other hormones. There is also an um, increased incidence of vaginal dryness and a condition called vaginismus as well. Um, those two conditions are really associated with pill use. Now, both of those are going to make sex a lot more uncomfortable, um, which is also going to impact libido. And what is really interesting is that it can take months or even years for your libido to return after you come off the pill as well because of that impact to our androgens and our testosterone. Um, which is interesting. And again, something that I see in a lot of, a lot of my clients. Mm. The other really big one is hair loss. Um, so some synthetic hormones, including levonorgestrel, um, have a really high androgen index. So what they're doing is slowly but surely shrinking the hair follicles. Um, but also because of that high androgen index are also going to potentially contribute or cause acne. Um, however, other synthetic hormones have a low androgen index. Um, so drospinerone, for example, is, is one that's lower on the androgen index. Um, but what happens is that those um, negative side effects of hair loss and, and acne typically will come after the pill is stopped because we get a rebound surge of androgens while your body is trying to re-regulate itself. That makes so much sense. And it keeps yeah. us in that cycle because, you know, you come off the pill and then, yeah. you know, a lot of uh, women, you know, have gone on it sometimes for, for the skin issues yes. and then they come off it. And then yeah. that flare, and then they're yeah. like, oh, well, it was working. So yeah. that's my only yeah. option. Yeah. My hormones are now unbalanced and I need to regulate them. And we grow up learning that to regulate yeah. your periods and your hormones, you go on the pill. Um, but yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a tricky one. Yeah. Um, the other really common, um, another really yeah, common side effect is, is weight gain. And this is mm. because the pill interferes with um, insulin, which is another hormone that manages our blood sugar levels. The pill also prevents muscle gain. Remember, we need progesterone, natural progesterone, which we only get through ovulation to help us to gain muscle as women. Um, but the pill also contributes to sugar cravings in many women because of that interference with that hormone insulin. Um, so weight gain is a really, really common side effect and something that I see in a lot of a lot of women who, again, are either on the pill or have decided to switch to something else because it just was not working for them. Um, other 
side effects, reduced thyroid function. Now thyroid is um, our main endocrine gland, so it's a really important organ for and gland for managing all of our body's hormones. Um, we also see that the microbiome, which is our um, existence, and we've, we've done an um, episode on, on gut health, and we did talk about the microbiome in detail there. Um, but just as a bit of a recap, it's the, um, I guess, home to the majority of our, our bacteria. And we have about two kilograms each of bacteria in our bodies that we need there, but we need it to be well balanced. Now, the pill actually alters that microbiome. Um, both in our gut, but also in our vagina. Um, now, that altered microbiome can lead to a lot of digestive issues, um, but also to yeast, and um, yeast infections, so thrush, um, and even to abnormal pap smear results as a result of that altered microbiome as well, and that mm. bacterial, fungal, viral imbalance um, that we see from, from pill use. So again, really common. So far, doesn't sound amazing. No, um, no, not amazing. But again, no judgment here. Again, I'm sharing the information. This is, yeah, the podcast yeah, so version, audio Then version. it's like, well, and like, you know, there's this narrative, obviously, if it's not your time to have children yet, and mm -hmm. like this is, you know, shown as the you know what you need to do is this mm, is mm. it's so common and it's so standard practice mm, mm. so what are the options now because yeah. this is what fascinates me and you've really opened my eyes to this that there are other methods other ways yeah that we can be empowered with yeah and we don't have to um be compromising elements of our health yeah, um, to feel optimal and uh, yeah I think you know when we start playing around with our um, hormones and things like that I always wonder um, how it affects like our pheromones and who you know we're attracted to and yeah and how we're thinking and it's yeah. such like I always zoom out like a really big picture and I just yeah uh, I, I really just want to be like the my full authentic self you know like not altered so yeah. what are the options now yeah so synthetic um hormonal contraceptive me methods um work in two ways usually either they suppress ovulation and slash or they thin the lining of the uterus and impair our cervical mucus so again basically both ways they're preventing fertility which is the whole idea there are other methods that um, permit ovulation and that encourage and allow that natural hormone production so type one is natural it's non-harmful and um, if I'm honest it can be a little bit inconvenient and you do really need very often um or at least for one of the methods within type one, you do need a regular, consistent, healthy, natural, normal cycle. And again, I'm using air quotes there. Um, and again, yeah, jump back and listen to um, our, our first episode. But I'm also going to pop some links in the show note as well so that you can learn a little bit more um, and do some further reading into, into your cycle to know what is and isn't normal. 
Um, type one methods, the most famous is male or female condoms. Now they've got a two to 5% failure rate, remembering that the pill with typical use is 93% effective. Um, so fairly similar male or female condoms. You can also use a diaphragm. There's a withdrawal method, which is um, a 4% failure rate generally. Um, there are nuances within that though. So yeah, please be careful. Um, the method that I use is a type one method and it's the fertility awareness method. So I use my temperature, my basal body temperature and my cervical mucus to track my fertility. Um, so I actually use a device called TempDrop, which I'll drop a link to as well in the show notes. Um, DAISY is another technology that you can use to make it really easy. Um, the failure rate for fertility awareness method, if you are using it perfectly, which is again, where it becomes difficult if you're not super confident about what you're doing or whether your cycle is normal or regular. Um, with perfect use, the failure rate is only 0.4 to 0.7% generally. So it's, it is quite effective, but like I said, you need to know what mm. you're doing there. So please get some help and support if you need to. Um, type two is, does allow um, ovulation, like I said, and does allow us to make our own natural hormones. Um, but the type two methods are more invasive. So the first is a male vasectomy, which is reversible. Um, again, not always completely um, effective. There are failure rates with the majority of these methods, but as we know, there also is with the pill. Um, the other is a copper IUD. So this is an, another interuterine device, but it does not contain any synthetic hormones. It has copper. Um, and some people get really concerned about copper going into their blood, bloodstream, but the amount that would be going in is actually smaller than the recommended dietary intake anyway. So it's actually been shown to not be a concern. Um, the only thing I would say with the copper IUD is that it can, in some cases, make your period or even your first one to three more heavy and or more painful. So if you're already struggling with those issues, that's something to keep in mind when you're when you're making your decision. Um, and yeah, I, I also wanted to touch on the fact that, like you said, Tyra, like there are not a lot of pros on the list for the pill, <laughs> but I, I do want to say that there are a couple of reasons why you would be on the pill. And the first mm. is because you're a grown independent woman who has made the informed decision that mm. it is your best method of contraception. And if that is you, that is okay. That's totally fine. Um, if the other reason is that um, if you struggle with like a really debilitate, debilitating condition like um, endo or even adenomyosis, so much pain involved in that. I want to say that there are a lot of natural treatment options available. Um, I am an endo girl and I have been able to manage my symptoms quite effectively through other methods of treatment. Um, but if, yeah, if you're really struggling or that natural treatment option is not for you, and again, if you've made that informed decision, that is completely your decision to make. Um, so the pill might be an option for you, but you could also look into something like um, Marina or Kylina, those um, synthetic IUD options instead if you wanted to. I also wanted to touch Tara on, um, you were saying about being your most authentic self and mm. um, the pheromone thing. Um, what is really, really interesting is that there have been studies and I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to mention this. I find this fascinating. Um, the pill has been associated with changed attraction. 
It's yes. not completely clear why, but there are several studies. Um, one study shows that there is a change um, in attraction based on how attractive your male partner is. So this is if you have a, have a male partner. Um, it's based on his co- attractiveness from a conventional perspective. Um, so if your partner isn't conventionally attractive by evolutionary standards, his attractiveness to you might actually decrease when you come off the pill. But if he is conventionally attractive and you come off the pill, you actually might find him more attractive. You might suddenly really, really appreciate it. Wow, that is so interesting. So yeah. now everyone, now everyone's freaking out. They're like, oh, I don't know if I want to do this. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, women literally prioritize their male partner's attractiveness more when they are off the pill. Now, I have a guess as to why it might be the case. As women, when we are not on the pill, we ovulate. And considering that ovulation in a normal, again, air quote, normal cycle happens once a month, And the fact that we as human women biologically are kind of purposes to recreate, I do wonder if we are attracted to the men subconsciously who are more likely to help us procreate. Yes, and I think that too. And this is wild because I remember reading something that, you know, as women, right, when we age, we, Mm. um, who we typically find more attractive is, you know, someone around five years older than us or five years Mm -hmm. younger Mm -hmm. than us, or in my case, a little bit older, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) um, but the thing is um, with men, they've done these studies that they're always sort of attracted to the 21, the 22 year old, no matter how old they get. And I can't help but think that's when a female is at her most fertile Mm, right mm, so mm. I don't know to me it would make sense if a woman is not on the pill that she would be um those pheromones would be um you know more attractive like showing that she is fertile to procreate yes, yes 100 so, yeah yeah there's I another so study that um with uh men so as as women naturally we uh are attracted to a scent in a male um, who is genetically dissimilar to us. Mm. And the reason being is really to prevent incest or to prevent um, or reduce the chance of miscarriage. If there is genetic dissimilarity, we are more likely to find that attractive if we are not on the pill. However, Mm. on the pill, what is really interesting is that we tend to be attracted to more familiar and similar scents in male partners. And there's some hypothesis that when we are on the pill, we're actually technically more like pregnant women. And when we Mm. are pregnant, we tend to seek out family and that support network. I find that so interesting. Yes, so interesting. Me too. So interesting. So interesting. And coming back to um, like the the pain, you know, and you've had Mm -hmm, experience mm -hmm. with this. Can we just speak to the, you know, you help um, women on that um, physical level and Mm -hmm. also on that, I guess, more that spiritual level and that more emotional level as well. Totally. 
what I just want to say is if you've taken something to you know prevent the pain or to for some reason right along that line Mm. it's it's really important for you to um really acknowledge anything that you're trying to avoid as well Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. like I said at the start I think there is in that pain there is that self-discovery and you know sometimes and that can look like trauma like trauma Mm -hmm. in the childhood um that mother wounding that you know um that wounding of being a woman and feminine Mm. yeah and I just want to say that you know that inner child and that is really important so you know I think a lot of women as well that have gone on the pill because of the these painful Mm. situations are scared to Mm. come off it Mm. and Mm -hmm. so I think that's just really interesting to look at. And I think that's becoming more and more a thing now, this womb healing and yeah, how totally. important it is to, to nourish ourselves on all levels and not just to power through as well. You know, like you are saying, oh, um, like how this um, pill has really allowed us to just power through. Like, you mm-hmm. know, we can still go swimming. We can still go yeah, yeah. Um, to all these things. And like, I really take the opportunity for my bleed now as an opportunity to nurture myself and to nourish yeah. myself. And it kind of gives me um, an excuse to um, just to do the things that I want to do. Yeah, totally, totally. And we talked a lot about this in our, in our first episode on the menstrual and moon cycles. And it's so important to remember that as a woman, we do naturally cycle and Mm. there are times in our cycle that we need to honor um, that need to be more um, yeah internalized I suppose and yeah I do want to say as well that if you struggle with really bad period pain um, please don't suffer in silence there Mm. is support out there and if you suspect that you have a condition like endometriosis it's really important to yeah get that support because I I know how debilitating it can be and yeah it's not something that I would wish upon anyone um definitely yeah no sorry even the Panadol as well um Mm -hmm. and like I it was drummed into me when I was in my teenage years, like, oh, you just take Panadol. So I was having Panadol every day for five days. Mm. And now it's been, you know, a decade since I've done that. But there, there's many options that can really assist with that, um, which you don't, you know, necessarily, um, there's not that awareness around. There's other yeah. sort of herbs that you're f- very familiar with, M. And if you're totally. struggling with that, definitely um, get in touch with M because mm. there's um, a lot of things you can take during your cycle, um, yeah. prepping up to your cycle, and it's just having that knowledge around it. And it doesn't have to be overwhelming. Totally. Totally. Yeah. And it's so important that you get to the root cause of your issue as well, because what's causing your friend's period pain could be a completely different reason to yours. So yeah, I'd really recommend that you do speak to a a qualified health professional if you really are struggling. Um, And yeah, I want to, I want to say about the pill. Um, A lot of my clients come and they're really terrified of coming off the pill Um, and especially working with a lot of clients around skin post pill acne is especially something that I see so much of Um, and it's a real post 
postpartum syndrome is a real thing and very often actually gets misdiagnosed as polycystic ovarian syndrome um, mm. or polycystic ovary syndrome. Um, there are some similarities, but they are separate. And the nice thing is that post-pill syndrome is generally shorter lived while things get back on track. But that back on track process can take a little while and it generally needs some support. Um, and, you know, other side effects, we mentioned side effects of the pill being like the um, microbiome and being altered. Uh, heaps of nutrient deficiencies as well, zinc, magnesium, vitamin Bs, um, vitamin C, all kind of are depleted when we're, when we're taking the pill. So it's really important to look at things like your gut health and how are your nutrient levels looking and um, how is your liver functioning? There's lots of ways that we can kind of support and ease that process and kind of minimize the shittiness, I suppose, for lack of a better word, that can be associated with coming off the pill. Um, but something that I, I do want to say as well is that it takes us 12 years for our menstrual cycle to actually mature. And so many of us are thrown onto some kind of contraceptive and very commonly it's the pill during that time. If we had an issue before we were put onto that contraceptive method, it's very likely that it's then going to make a reappearance afterwards because we've not dealt with it. Mm. We have put everything on hold and Band-Aid covered it up while we were on that hormonal contraceptive. And then when we come off it, we can see that resurgence again, while hormones rebalance and that menstrual cycle gets itself back on track and matures. Um, yeah, to kind of come to terms with that. I know that my journey coming off I really struggled again with depression and that flared right back up again when I came off it. Um, mm. I had the post-pill acne issue 100% and my period pain mm. was horrific. And that was when I was like, okay, I, I think I need to actually do something about my endo now. Um, but yeah, I, I want you to know that there are methods to support you through coming off the pill and it's not something to be scared of. And this is what I find the most empowering, M, because, and I love how passionate you are, because I think this is such an important topic. And if you guys could mm. see M's like <laughs> hand gestures in the last five minutes, it's been hectic. She's so passionate about this <laughs> because you've you lived guess? it, you've experienced <laughs> yeah. it. And yeah, um, it's something, that gift that you want to give other people and to know that they're uh, it doesn't have to be that way. There is alternatives and that, totally. you know, you can have support through that. And, and I guess as well, Em, like you see a lot of clients that, you know, they're coming off the pill because they want to have a baby. They want to fall pregnant. Yes. And yes, having that realistic understanding, okay, your body needs to be prepped for that. And you mm -hmm. need to address those nutrient deficiencies that potentially, um, could have occurred during being on that um you know contraceptive and yeah. so allowing your body that that space to yeah come come back totally totally I think it's really important that you as a woman like I said right at the beginning of this episode have that information to make your own empowered decision and if you feel empowered on the pill hands up to you like amazing do it do whatever works for you and as cliche as it sounds you do you 
A hundred percent, but I want you to be able to make an informed decision. And I feel like we have been unfortunately deprived of a lot of the information to be able to make an informed decision for so Mm. long. And I think, like I said, it's amazing that there is so much more information out there now. Um, But yeah, please, please know that there are other options other than the pill if the pill is not working for you and if you have the information and you go actually do you know what this is not working for me this is not what I want to do there are other options and again if another version of hormonal contraceptive works better for you that's absolutely fine but I want to be able to empower you like I said to make that real informed decision and I think it's something that you have every right to consider because you have every right to birth control, but you also have every right to make an informed decision as mm. well. I love that. Um, yeah. Mm. It's so important. So important mm. to, yeah, no, like knowledge is power. And so here totally. is, here are your options. This is what's involved. And then, yeah, it's up to yeah. you, whatever is going to work for your lifestyle um, and, and for you. So I love yeah. that. Absolutely. And being on a hormonal contraceptive doesn't make you any less of a a woman. And I think it's still really important that you embody that feminine, um, that feminine, divine feminine. And if you're listening to this podcast, then that's probably something that you're already working on, which is amazing. Mm. And I'm, I'm really proud of you. And yeah, um, I'm going to chuck so many references in the show notes, but there is one that I really want to highlight. And that is an amazing game-changing book um, by an incredible naturopath called Lara Bryden. Um, She wrote the period repair manual and it's honestly such an incredible book. And it's one that I really think should be in schools um, for young women to access and for mums to be able to read so that they can talk to their daughter about what is mm. happening with their menstrual cycle, what their hormones are, the fact that they can generally on a normal cycle. And again, keeping in mind that it takes around 12 years on average for that menstrual cycle to mature, that when you do have a mature, again, air quote, normal cycle, then you can only technically fall pregnant on six days of that cycle. So yeah, I think mm. um, building that awareness is so important. And so I highly, highly recommend um, as a starting point, if you do want to do more reading into what the heck a period actually is and what it should be and what it shouldn't be and what your hormonal contra- um, contraceptive methods are, um, definitely, definitely read that book. It is incredible. Um, and yeah, I'll chuck the, the link and that book title again in the show notes. Thank you for all your knowledge and wisdom, Em. And Absolute if pleasure. you're listening to this and it's something that you're considering or you want more information on, Em is definitely your girl. Thank and you. And she can be <laughs> that really supportive and understanding, non-judgmental. Yeah, um, totally. Through, through that journey. Totally. Absolutely. Like I said, I see a lot of clients who are on the pill and I support them through regardless. Um, One thing I wanted to say to end on um, is actually a quote from Lara Bryden, whose book I just mentioned. She says that fertility is an expression of health, not a disease to be treated with a drug. Mm. And I just think that is so potent. Um, And one other thing that I want to mention and Tara's probably like, oh my God, Emily, this is a really long episode, wrap this up. But 
Um, what I find really interesting is that 83% of men say that they would use a male birth control pill. That's so Keeping in mind that in a nine-month period, a woman can only birth one child, unless obviously she's having twins yes. or triplets, like, of course. Whereas a man could technically impregnate a number of fertile women per day. So over that nine-month period, there could be thousands of pregnancies and births. So it is kind of like, well, why isn't there more onus on men to manage birth control? Yeah. Um, but yeah, apparently 83% of men say that they would use a male birth control pill. However, the drug manufacturers say that developing a really safe and reliable and effective pill takes time. And they are worried that there could be side effects like altered sex drive or mood changes or weight gain. And I'm like, sorry? yeah that is very interesting wow I'm not even gonna get started on that but that is very very interesting and that is can be looked at as very disempowering for for the woman and so I think in that in this journey it's taking the men along the journey for it as well and just keeping them informed and you know men don't know about these cycles either they don't understand I remember when I was having a really painful period and my husband was just like oh come on like can you do this and I was like I just can't and so I googled what does a period feel like because I was trying to explain (laughs) it to him and these search results came up they were like it feels like a heart attack so I went over and showed him the phone and I was like this is what I'm dealing with right now and he's like oh like they don't know like they don't no. know but they genuinely Again, yeah just you know are so in the dark and they feel yeah. disempowered because they don't have the information just like we haven't yeah um, absolutely yeah so I think it's that's time important. to take yeah time to take back that empowerment for ourselves um and to really yeah get men on board in the process too yeah and, so if you have a son um yeah. you know that's something that you can explain to them as as well um totally I think it's We're all empowering partner. yeah get them on board and yeah let's take back take back our power girls girl power yes <laughs> uh, thank you for listening to this episode fellow witch if you've enjoyed it make sure you rate and review us yeah and come and join us on social media as always we would love to have you in our free facebook group it's a wbw coven and we are on instagram at witches being witches thanks for listening to witches being witches remember happiness is the new rich inner peace is the new success health is the new wealth and kindness is the new cool we'll see you next episode